0: Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the show. Today, I have one of my favorite people, one of my favorite guests of all time on the show, Shireen Albert, the VP of Growth at Bobby Baby Co. Shireen has been on the show before briefly when I did a, a short series of episodes or a series of short episodes for Black Friday last year. And when I had Shireen on, two things were the case. One of them is that she provided excellent amounts of information and value in terms of her insight and knowledge of growth in e-commerce and digital marketing and those sorts of things. She is a true expert, an absolute killer. She also led growth and led strategy at CTC for a while, so she really knows her stuff, and that definitely came through. The other thing that happened is that we giggled like idiots the whole time because she's one of my favorite people ever. She's one of my, I said before, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. She's one of the greatest humans in the history of mankind. That's what I'm saying about Shereen. That might be a little aggressive, but she's great, is the point, and you're gonna like this episode. That's really the point, so stay with me. Bobby Baby is a monster of a business that has grown a lot fast. Shreen seen some really cool stuff there. We're talking about, you know, nine figures of revenue in less than two years. Incredible business. Let Shereen unpack it. Let's jump in right now.
1: Oh, thank you, Andrew. I am so stoked to be here. Thank you for the warm welcome. You are the GOAT. You are the best person ever. Anyone who's listening to this should be so honored to be a part of
0: this. So Honored? They listen- <laughs> Is she honored to be
1: listening? Yeah, exactly. You should be honored to be hearing the Andrew Ferris podcast because this guy is a legend.
0: <laughs> uh, it's coming up the rails even faster than I expected. I thought it would happen, but I thought maybe we could hold it together for a couple of minutes. I don't know. I just, uh, you yeah, I don't know. This this might, we'll see what happens in the next 40 minutes or so here. to see, see where this goes. Shereen, you, you doing well? How are things going?
1: I am I'm doing well. I'm stoked. Happy to be here, happy to be alive.
0: Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, let's do a couple of the things that we got to do to start a podcast to give people context for why I brought you on here. One of them is tell people, you're the VP of Growth at Bobby Baby Co. Tell people, or Bobby, tell people what Bobby is and how long you've been there.
1: Yeah, Bobby is an infant formula company. I've been there for nearly two years now. The business is on its third year. If you know anything about the baby formula industry, you'll know that there's it's led by a duopoly. It's two brands that lead the whole industry. At the top of last year in 2022, one of those brands had a major recall and wiped about 40% of the supply off the market. So during my time at Bobby, driving growth, I uh, had to make a pivot and start to drive sloth and start to... Pull back acquisition, shut everything down because demand was way higher than what we had the capacity for. So, insane story, insane journey. If you heard about the infant formula supply crisis, you might have heard about it, but um, it was national news. The White House got involved and we had to shut down acquisition and acquiring customers for maybe like seven to nine months. So, wild journey. Yeah. Wild journey of ramping up, ramping down, ramping back up. It's it's crazy. And it's
0: supply supply chain stuff now, everything's back to where to where you can grow aggressively again?
1: Yeah. Supply chain for infant formula is really complex. There's limited manufacturing capacity within the United States and, you know, to be meet FDA standards. In the U.S., you have to be manufactured in the U.S. There's a few exceptions that were made during the supply crisis where brands were flown overseas and kind of bypassed some of those pre-existing regulations. But it's really manufacturing is limited and the market is finite. There's only so many people entering the market every day and people are also exiting it when their baby reaches one year old so it, it's a very much an exercise in planning supply and demand planning capacity planning and like we you can't overproduce you know there's not you can't convince people to buy baby formula they have to need it so it's really really complex yeah
0: that's super interesting that i one of the wild things about that is that like you know you said there was a forbes piece recently that cited this number you were telling me that Bobby started two years ago and has done now over 100 million in two years, which is wild. That's a very, very fast growth. And, and yet for seven to nine months of that, you actually had to actively slow down your growth. So that number came despite essentially you know, having a third of that time roughly be a time where you actually had to, to not grow. So do you have a thought of like what the number could have been if, if you could actually generate enough product?
1: Yeah, we've, this is one of those math problems that we've gone back and forth on so many times. It could have been, you know, in the couple hundred millions minimum. I mean, a lot of the year we were not acquiring new customers and we were just reserving supply for existing subscribers. So yeah, we were, we're definitely constrained by our ability to get more product which i think the the whole industry was i mean we saw we saw those shelves were empty and it required external brands from you know other countries to come in and uh, and help us out
0: it's really crazy i i mean i yeah my kids were like just getting out of the age where that would be a need and so we we like just missed that that crunch which was which was lucky but that, i mean that's just like a crisis for a parent that's so insane you know i'm sure you had insane customer responses during that time between anger and frustration and then those who could get stuff from you like incredible gratitude i'm sure like what wh- what were you hearing from people
1: yeah it was wild i mean people were panicking they this is an essential good for feeding an infant and for many infants this is the only thing that they consume that's that's their food that's what they eat and it was a scary time because there was a lot of stuff floating around on the internet about making your own formula, which is incredibly dangerous and can lead to horrific outcomes for infants. But it was really scary. And I think the response that we had, we didn't know how long it was going to go on for. And we made the decision to stop acquiring customers pretty early with our limit. You know, we, we forecasted and we were like, oh, we're going to you know run out of supply, so we better make a change. And that's pretty much all we knew for how long it was going to last. But our subscribers did not have interruption at all in their in their subscription service, and what came from that was like unending loyalty and gratitude for the brand. And you know, I still have people reaching out to me on LinkedIn in comments like, "You guys saved us during the crisis." So it's unbelievable. Like when you prioritize your existing customers, how much of a loyalty and referral flywheel that creates for future growth but yeah we did have a wait list too and we managed that very carefully and tried to be very sensitive to people joining the wait list it, it was it was a wild time yeah
0: yeah so okay there's so many interesting things here so let's go back to something you said earlier which is that you had to you have to think carefully about the supply and demand involved all the time because of this finite market and a finite timeline somebody can a customer there's there's really no creating additional demand there's just only capturing existing demand in this business right like i mean d- does bobby have any does do you have any products outside of that, that like sort of matter to the business besides besides formula
1: we are just purely infant formula right now yeah and
0: i'm sure you're i'm sure somebody's thinking about that somewhere and that's probably its own conversation but so how how do you how do you especially for you you're the vp of growth i mean are you i take it that means you're the highest or second highest or something person on the sort of growth and marketing side of the business like what what does that mean for your job how does that actually hit the ground in your work
1: that's a really good question it's definitely a pivot in like what are we doing today to drive growth is like the normal state how are we progressing to capture more market share take over this industry like you said we're not like creating additional demand we're just informing people that we exist and you can't in infant formula it's so highly regulated you can't say you're better so we can't say we're better we can just show up and tell our story and provide education and capture market share so that is a pivot like when we start to shut down when we start to slow our acquisition it's what are we doing to build the future of the business for the next, like, next year and the next three to five years? And we start to get more future focused. And it's a really interesting exercise. Yeah. Like, how do we educate people earlier in their journey? Or how do we like build experiences for people that don't result in growth right away? Or how do we do, you know, do more of this like foundational SEO work that doesn't pay right away? So there, there's a lot of interesting.
0: Shereen, I could solve this for you. I have the, I, this, the answer to this is so obvious. It is so obvious. And I, I, it's so obvious that you have to have thought about it. You guys have to be the the leaders of the pro-natalist movement. You have to be telling people to have sex and have more babies. That's the obvious answer here. <laughs> grow that market. Grow the demand side. Right? Come on.
1: You know what? I've, I think about this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: this is so clear to me what your job is. Because, like, think about it. If you could have a meaningful impact on growing the number of on, like, growing the, you know, increasing the number of babies that are made, I, I mean, I don't. I'm just saying, like, it's right there. Yeah. Sponsoring fertility clinics, like, come on, what is the, <laughs> what what is the move here?
1: Should we partner with Elon Musk and uh, Nick Cannon to just repopulate <laughs> Earth?
0: Those are your brand partners. Oh my gosh. Uh, that is it. That is it. Actually, okay. So this is going to, here we go. Let's do this. This, this might have to get cut out. You, <laughs> I mean, does Bobby think at all about, commu- what an interesting thing. Do you, do you guys think in your marketing at all about communities where there are more babies in the community and think about how you, make sure that you stay relevant to that community like to be totally honest with you what i'm thinking of here is like the mo- the most obvious example i think is people who are members of the church of, of jesus christ of latter-day saints right mormons colloquially and like because I, it just is a fact that those that there's just probably more babies per household there right and so you know for all kinds of reasons that are maybe more and less comfortable for people to talk about like it's interesting from a marketing perspective to think about how you make sure that you sort of create affinity and a especially because that's such a community you know there's actually like a a built-in thing there. like i don't know how do you do you guys think about that in those terms at all
1: wow that is super interesting no i don't think we've thought of community in that way but it is really i would love to do like a cohort analysis on those communities to see well like customer
0: value has to be higher for for right for somebody who has eight kids like if that you know what i mean i mean obviously that's an extreme example like i think you probably even in that community there's not very many with eight but like i sat with a client the other day who's a member of that member of that community and and had you know i think they were having it number eight or number nine and more power to him. but it was like it was it just obviously that's a more valuable customer to you you know
1: yeah i mean well twins
0: yeah yeah twins right yeah
1: people yeah. twins are another big one it's so hard to have multiple children, but then you also have to have multiple formula subscriptions <laughs> to get their feet in that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, my brother had triplets, so, you know, just, we're just a little too late. Yeah. But yeah, they would have been worth a lot of money to you.
1: Does he want to do it again? He
0: <laughs> No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, they're the best, but yeah. Wait, can I say one more thing about my brother's triplets? Because it's fun. Yes, they're actually in Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid City. They are the three girls in the movie and the three little kids. It's my brother's triplets.
1: What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Way. Yeah.
0: So when you see that movie, if you see if you're a Wes Anderson fan, you're listening to this, and you see Asteroid City, the three little girls in that movie, you'll see in the credits their their last name is Ferris. There, they're, uh That's my that's my nieces. So there you
1: go. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be my claim to fame now. Yeah, no, I
0: know it's definitely mine, <laughs> for sure, owning that.
1: Yeah, this guy I know, his brother's twins, (laughs) triplets, triplets. Oh shoot, she has triplets, triplets. Okay, so, but
0: seriously, I mean, I wonder. I mean, I I figure in your market, right? There's like enough. Like you guys have had this amazing growth, but surely, given the size of the market and the need for the product, you're still small relative to the other two big guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're 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 coming up there. We're we're gaining. Yeah, pretty quickly and it's really hard to, you know, we, we have retail sales data so we can see how we're doing compared to the other players on retail shelves, but it's a lot harder to see that on D2C, but we have data that leads me to believe that we are doing very, very well on the, the D2C space and total combined market. We're coming, we're coming up there as one of the top players in the market. And we're we're climbing up there, and I think, you know, the other way that that growth happens that I don't think a lot of growth marketers talk about is, and you talked about it, product development, new products, new markets. Where are we going next? New channels. I mean, I, I think the other the first two are are the biggest opportunities for us because I think uh, the consumer that the Bobby consumer is very channel fluid. You know, if they they like to shop D to C, but they also like to go to Target. And for us, it's like, let's show up where the consumer's at and then let's make the products that they want. And it's so, it's like so dumb to simplify it to that level. But that's like, those are the other major growth levels.
0: Yeah, it's the whole, I mean, it's not dumb. It's the whole thing. Like, this is something I come back to all the time. The genetic components of any business at the end of the day are products and customers. That's it. And so like, if you can sort of, Get that, get the alignment between those two things right in a way that creates margin for the business at the end of it. You know, then that's the ball game, and and so that makes perfect sense to me. The way you're thinking about it like that is like there's this many customers. This is our product. If we can introduce more products, those customers who've had a great experience with us and feel really loyal to us, that they will like those and trust us for those also. Fantastic. You know, are you able to say anything about sort of how you guys are thinking about that product roadmap, or is that locked in a safe somewhere? Make sure nobody knows.
1: Had that you mentioned at the beginning of this was off of one product, which is insane. So we just launched our second product on May 1st. We, it's a gentle formula. The category is tolerance. It's for babies who can't digest whole milk proteins. So there's like, there's within infant formula, there's subcategories based on, you know, baby's tolerance level. So that, and it takes a lot to get a new infant formula to market. Yeah. Is that why studies? there's only been
0: two players for so long? Because just the, the barrier to entry is so high?
1: Barrier to entry is insanely high. Clinical studies are expensive. Getting Meeting the FDA standards takes a really long time. No. Major upfront investment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It, okay, so let's actually go backwards. You mentioned something earlier that also caught my attention, which is that you can't make a lot of claims about why your product is better than others but that you tell your story so other than being a new interesting brand in a space with only two previous players how which i think just that just makes that space ripe for somebody for some third branch to get in there right how did bobby get to become Within two years, get to a level where you're like, you know, you just said a second ago, you're, you're actually eating up a significant amount of that market share from, from the other two players. Like, how, how did you guys do that when you can't say anything about being better? How, what did you personally do to drive all of the revenue and profit and growth is what I'm asking <laughs> Shireen. Because I, we talked about this earlier. You came in you were for 14 million, pulled a Shireen card. Pull you in immediately blew through that number in your first year there. So what did you personally do without any help from any team to make <laughs> it so that you guys grew like that?
1: very little I did I did very little little without the help of others, but that's not what I hear no like... That's not
0: what you were telling me earlier. <laughs> off my Not really. Shireen didn't say that. she didn't say that.
1: No, really, it is. It is. It is a whole team effort. I mean, I joined as growth team member number one. And there was already, you know, a a great, solid team in place in the org. And it was a matter of coming in, bringing the growth expertise, knowing knowing exactly where some of the opportunities were, um, and starting to push there. Yeah. So, so much of the success in the business's first year was due to the incredible product market fit. I mean, parents were importing formula overseas. The label was in a different language. It was unknown how the formula was being imported, what the conditions were on like the, the freight, like was it in, was it being stored in an environment that was too hot? There's no way to know. Was there a recall? How would those parents know? But they were willing to go through these risks because European infant formulas are held to a higher standard than U.S. formulas, and a large part of that is because they renew their regulations pretty often, and the U.S. hasn't really made major changes in the requirements in a long time since probably the 1980s. So people saw something that they wanted that they thought was better, were going through discomfort to bring it over. And our founder saw a gap in the market and she created a European style formula. And the demand, the organic demand in that first year was so strong because it was filling a gap and the brand was incredible. So I joined and there was this amazing product, amazing brand, fit a gap for people, had a a niche already carved out. And so much of that first year growth, there was barely any advertising happening, barely any, you know, retention marketing happening. So came in, immediately created the foundation for retention and started to test and scale our advertising and started to create a skate ramp in the growth curve and then had to pull it back. And when we pulled it back, I think that's when we started to focus a lot more heavily we were focusing on it but a lot more heavily on seo editorial basically all we can do like we can't tell people that we're better but we can educate them so that's where we put the focus and the other the other piece about that like telling our story is there's a a deep level of authenticity that has been built around the brand it's like the majority of the company is made up of parents who've lived the shame of having to formula feed. So telling parents that you don't have to be ashamed anymore is something no other brand is doing and can't do as authentically as we're doing, and that hits at like the heart of the consumer, and that's like a major differentiator that can't be replicated.
0: It's so interesting. I mean, I hear what you're saying that there is this element of like, oh, uh, if I was a better mom, or if I was some, or something like that, I would breastfeed. You know, like I know, I know there's a lot of pressure around that. Why are there not like why? Why are you saying that the other brands can't do that as authentically? Can't say there's no shame in that as authentically?
1: They, they just, you know what? I think because the founders and the executive team and a large portion of the company have lived that story and are basically telling their stories to consumers, and a lot of the other brands in the space are not basically the consumer made made the product and made the brand and is speaking to the consumer and i think these other brands can try but are struggling to do that because it's just the what the makeup of the company is not the same it's like a little bit of a magic and secret sauce that that we have and the other thing we're obsessed with understanding our customers and building the best experience for our customers we sacrifice doing things that will like drive growth today or growth at all costs we sacrifice that over like is the consumer going to actually like this and we we've turned we've said no to a lot of things that would drive immediate revenue in favor of yeah but that's not a great customer experience so let's not do it and it's always played in, in our favor yeah that's
0: so that's that's it's so smart it's like it If you can actually do that, if you can have the discipline to do that and make sure that your product is great, it just goes so, so far. It's, but in the, the thing people say that kind of thing all the time, like, oh, just like, you know, the key thing at the end of the day is that your product is great. And that's true to some degree. Although I'd also say that like great marketing in some ways, I mean, there's plenty of crappy products that do really, really well. So like you can actually win with, with crappy products and great marketing for sure. But even if you are trying to say like, oh, we're just not going to go that route. It actually requires a ton of discipline. To just make sure and cost and time and all those things to make sure that like, nope, you go dot back and you say, you say no to that version of the product and you go back and you do some more product development or whatever it is. And I mean, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to push back a launch date. Nobody wants to, whatever it requires, put the extra dollars into, into product development, etc. I think it's, uh, it's really, really cool to hear you say that because it's, it's actually very, very hard to maintain the ability to, to do that.
1: Yeah, I think you almost need to look at product development costs as like retention marketing costs. Like that is what is retaining your customer. Not your emails are fine, but that's not what's retaining your customer.
0: That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually I think I've said this before talking retention like the at the end of the day, it's really hard to meaningfully move your retention rates in a business off of kind of what they naturally land at relative to the sort of customer usage cycle of your products. and and then the product quality itself like people just like they're just there's just sort of like a baseline retention that any product exists at and then great tactics and you know i know you, you've you got some you've had some really good retention markers on your team and i'm sure you're thinking about all that stuff well i'm sure they're they're making a difference right but they're not probably tripling your retention like that that you just can't you just can't do that basically it, it really does come down to people's love for the product so i i yeah i totally agree and especially in a business like yours where it's a consumable product and you're you're trying to get people to rebuy, like that stuff just matters so much because that's so built into the growth plan for the business. Is it is it's it's gonna be like that? I'm assuming you're building all of your forecasts off of that kind of model, new customer revenue, returning customer revenue, projecting forecast or forecasting based off of cohort retention, that sort of thing.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's a game changer. <laughs>
0: So if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know that I used to be the CEO of 4x400, an aggregator that had up to six brands at a time in its portfolio. And during that time, I took some bad, dumb, expensive loans, and I took some good loans. And the good ones were especially from Settle, my sponsor for this episode of the show. And my personal experience with them, plus my since deepened understanding of e-commerce finance in the last couple of years, led me to personally reach out to Settle to sponsor the podcast. And here's why. First, you can extend your AP, any AP you have basically, just about any AP you have, by 30 days for just one to 2% of the cost of the bill. That makes Settle's rates super competitive and drastically better and more transparent, crucially, than so much of the revenue-based financing available to Shopify store owners, e-commerce brands out there. Honestly, that rate is even competitive with what your manufacturer will charge you to get terms and you don't have to squeeze them in the process, so you can really win that way. And secondly, also crucially, that rate comes with no personal guarantee. That's incredible. So one to 2% of the cost of the bill for 30 days to extend, no personal guarantee. And third, unlike a line of credit from a bank, Settle connects directly to your data and underwrites you from between one to three days. Getting that line of credit from a bank is often a lot of work. Working with Settle is not. It's insanely easy. And because they have ongoing access to that data as you grow, their financing options will grow with you and you'll see how much capital you have access to all the time, right at the top of the screen, right there in their bill pay platform. So that's all before you talk about how smooth and easy to use Settle's bill pay platform is in general. It is really awesome if you're paying vendors. Even if you're not taking a payment terms from them, it's great. So for me, there's no better place to start for financing your e-commerce business's growth than Settle. Visit settle.com slash Andrew Ferris to get started today. That's settle.com slash Andrew F-A-R-I-S to get started. Yeah, when you, when you talk with other businesses, how much? Because I know like you, you're on pass and people should, should definitely book you. How much do you bring that kind of thinking into their businesses, into the, the sort of like cohort thinking, new customer versus returning customer, really separating out those problems, approaching it? It's something I've been on a big kick about recently. And I'm starting to yeah. think like, I don't even know how I ran businesses before thinking about it this way. Are you bringing that into to those conversations?
1: Yeah, definitely. That, that thinking, like, you know, we crossed paths at CTC 4 by 400 that thinking changed me as a marketer and as a person who understands businesses, like just being able to see businesses through that forecasting lens, I can now just gather a few metrics from a business and just understand exactly where the issues are. Because once you've seen like, you know, being in CTC, Common Thread Collective, you see that data set of 300 e-commerce businesses and you can instantly pinpoint where the break is and understand, you know, oh, wow, their, their LTV increase in the first 60 days is not what it needs to be. Their retention is not strong. Like, and those issues in a business are not very easily solved through marketing tactics. But yeah, that, that's exactly what, what it is. It's looking at the new customer revenue, seeing where the opportunities are, looking at AOV, understanding how that plays a part in the forecast how repeat rate plays a, a part in the forecast and then figuring out what you need to do to make it work.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I th- I think the same thing. Like I I now just don't know how to look at a business another way, at least in D2C. I think it's sort of the fundamental thing. I just did an episode about this actually. I, j- I think it's sort of the fundamental thing that makes D2C D2C at this point is is just the ability to build your business off of that kind of thinking. And I've seen some pushback on that recently. Some people are saying saying oh, don't don't build off of LTV to CAC. Don't do that because like you should be first order profitable. And I think that's a really s- silly thing, actually. Like, even if you're saying be first order profitable, that calculation should be based on LTV to CAC. Like, all you're saying is that the LTV is low. That's that's like another way of framing the same thing. And so that means if the LTV is low, then yes, you need to make sure that you're, that you're profitable in the beginning because you can't bank any repeat revenue. If you actually have massive LTV, you could actually be costing yourself like millions of dollars in your valuation, tens of millions of dollars in your valuation, if you don't grow aggressively enough, if you can't figure out a way to fund a first order loss to get more customers because the the long-term contribution margin from those customers actually is massively higher if you're willing to just go acquire more customers at a loss. And it's all of that, though, is dependent on deeply understanding the relationship between new and returning customers. And it's somewhere like Bobby, where you're talking about this incredible amount of loyalty built with this like really fast growth curve i imagine those cohort charts into the future look fantastic you know even if you know that there's a there's a like a dead stop limitation like one year old and then they're never gonna buy again at least at this point until you can do some product development or whatever but yeah like it, it's I, I think like like internalizing that it ends up just mattering so so much I, i'm assuming you have so how far out are you planning your forecasting at bobby based off of those kinds of cohorts like do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, are you looking at this on a one-year timeline? How how are you thinking about that?
1: Yeah, we're doing it. We're forecasting on a three-year timeline. We set the forecast at the beginning of the year, and then we re-forecast at the beginning of each month. So we have an idea of where we're going. We know that, you know, it's it can only be as good as whatever happens in that first year. But we, yeah, we reset it. We re- re-forecast every month. And then what you were saying about people saying like, oh, you need to be first order profitable to me that like knowing what I know about forecasting that tells me, OK, you don't have great retention built into your business model. That means you have to continue finding new customers or creating new products for your growth. And that is expensive in another way. So you're pay- like that game can only scale to a certain degree.
0: Yeah. Well, and what, so like what it means when I see that, what it means to me is, okay, if that's true and if, and if you can't solve that with product development, because you probably can't solve the LTV issue there with retention tactics, like we talked about, right? Like, so, so if the LTV is low as a, you know, sort of as a percentage of your first order, if the LTV is low in an ongoing sense and you can't solve it with retention tactics, then that leaves you two options. One of them is product development as the solve to that, which maybe is something to work on right away. Or it means, and there is, this is actually another viable pathway. It means to develop incredible skill at digital advertising and that sort of thing. It means that you have to like go find the best marketers in the world or become the best marketer in the world and just discipline yourself to absolutely hammer away at that problem, deeply understand all of it. And the example I always think of here is, and because these guys have been fairly public about this, is Ridge, because Ridge, for a long time, you know, was basically selling people one wallet. And you just talk to them, and they just are. They just are incredible marketers. They're just incredible customer acquire acquisition people. They're just, I mean, they're way better at it than, than I've seen, you know, like el- elsewhere. They're so massively good at it. And that's the pathway. It's like, okay, until we can solve this problem. And then, of course, they went down the product development pathway and all that stuff too. And I don't, I don't have view to the inside of their business at this point or anything, but they, they seemed to me to get really far based on that skill. And that's what you have to decide to do. Whereas, you know, again, if I was looking at Bobby, I would say like, okay, the answer there is probably... Figure out what's actually driving customer acquisition, measure how valuable that customer is, and then figure out how to extend it past that first year and then get Nick Cannon. And those are the those are the four. Those are the four things. That...
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you you can run a first order profitable business and you can do it very successfully, but it's exactly what you said. You have to keep pumping out new products and you have yeah. to keep acquiring customers forever and keep marketing forever, or you have to go into retail and rely on the awareness from being in a retail channel to drive more volume without having to continue to market, which is what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of those D2C brands that have to shift to omni channel to maintain the level of scale that they're looking for. And that's a natural progression, makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's come back to Bobby more directly. What has been, so you said you've mentioned just like what essentially is product market fit to some degree? People love the product. Some of those things. What else has been the real drivers from you from a growth? Let's like let's talk a little bit of tactics here, basically, right? If we recognize that the product is better and that, that makes your job a lot better and easier, which is great, right? But like you you said that coming in also meant that you did actually add tactics and you you did actually bring some of those things. So what have been like the key drivers for you? Like one thing we talked about actually last time you were on was the importance of your sample, like the, that the sample offer made a really, really big difference. So you can talk about that if you want, but although I think we covered that at least a little bit last time, what what else have you done that has been like key drivers to getting from, to get to a hundred million dollars in two years? Cause that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, the the biggest thing, like I already mentioned is the brand continuing to do things that don't scale is an important piece and backing any growth tactics with a level of, we care about our customers and we care about society. We do a lot of do good. So I'll preface everything I'm about to say about growth tactics with the, like it has to be backed up with we care and we're doing good for the world, especially as an infant formula business. And then from there, it's exactly what you said. It's understanding how to forecast and understanding our tolerance for what, what is our CAC tolerance, knowing our LTV. That basically sets the stage for everything else that's going to come.
0: Just getting really, really clear about what that target is, and then executing against that target.
1: Executing against that target, setting the target, executing against it, and then it's all the tactics. It's creative. There's a creative testing is a hot button topic for a lot of people, but I think you know what's interesting is we constantly have fresh people coming into our category so we're we have to keep yeah it's like the the same people who saw the ads a year ago are not seeing the ads again and sometimes the things that worked with the cohorts the year prior don't keep working because people are changing the preferences are changing but i think the biggest biggest lever the biggest unlocked and we talked about this last time is the offer we're doing a lot of offer testing we're doing we're investing a lot of time and effort in CRO and specifically what is the offer and how, now that we're an omni-channel business, how do we distinguish our D2C offer from our retail offer and make it more compelling and more exciting?
0: What's the answer been so far?
1: It, it goes back to the way the consumer wants to purchase. I mean, that trial offer for an infant formula customer is like they want to know Going back into the consumer psychology, like what does the person expect to get out of that first order? They expect for their baby to love the product, but they also don't want to risk spending, you know, we have a high AOV subscription and high AOV product. So we don't want to risk someone purchasing and having to refund it because their baby didn't tolerate it. So it's giving people the opportunity to try. The other thing that is really key in that is looking how the rest of the market operates. The two big players do a lot of sampling. They're embedded in hospitals. They're embedded in doctor's offices. Everyone gets a free can of those two brands. <clears throat> and then they have it in their pantry and they don't think they're ever going to use it. And there's this major gap in expectation versus reality for consumers. And they think, I'm going to have a beautiful breastfeeding journey and we're going to bond and it's going to be so lovely. And it turns out to be you know i can't produce enough milk or my baby can't latch or the number of other things i have postpartum depression i, I have to go back to work all the, the other things that consumers didn't anticipate so making it easy for them to try is really important but then for us specifically because we are we aren't going through the hospital and medical channel we're going direct to consumer it's investing heavily in education and that's organic search that's partners that's creating content specific to where our customers are at their stage of life we made an aqua hire. there was an influencer called the formula mom she had built a pretty big community and a reputation in the space and she's now a part of my team and she drives education because that's such a big acquisition opportunity for us but it all it all goes back to the offer really and how someone wants to purchase
0: super interesting i mean one of the things that you guys have unique is that people are going to research this product. They are not going to, they are not going to just like quickly be like, well, I guess I'll get this one, you know, unless it's literally the only option. Like it's like, even still, they're probably going to have some hesitation. Like, so it, the, being embedded in hospitals and stuff like that, I didn't even think about like as as a part of this, but it's just sort of like, yeah, really thinking about, this is where careful thinking about what the actual customer journey is relative to the product is so so crucial you talked about seo in there a little bit well you said organic search what in the current day of things like where are people searching for things and like how because i imagine that is like a big mess to untangle in terms of you've got probably some people just searching mom influencers and you know like the like the woman you referenced you know or people are probably, you know, Googling. And then, you know, I'm, you know, the, obviously the SERP with Google is like different and changing all the time. And now there's the AI component. And so like, how are you thinking about that problem of sort of like, not only just like the content itself, but like distributing that content in a way that people are actually going to find it and access it in the places where they're actually searching for that stuff?
1: Yeah, this is a really big focus for us right now. And if you think about it, Organic search is changing. Search is changing. People are not just searching Google anymore. They're searching TikTok. The other day, I was going to make a recipe and I didn't want to read a 5,000-word recipe and scroll for eight minutes to get to the ingredients. I went to TikTok and I watched a 10-second video and I cooked something and it was way easier and I got to see how it was done. And so people are changing the way that they search and Google understands that. And Google has started to deliver TikTok videos to the front page of the SERPs because they know that that's the type of content that people are consuming. So when you think of SEO, when I'm thinking of it, I don't think about writing as many articles through ChatGPT as possible. That could be a piece of it. That could be a piece of it. But I think about what is the highest intent term that someone is searching that's going to drive them to the path of purchase. And what are all of the things, all of the channels that show up when they do that search? It's not just your Google ads. It's not just your organic placement. It's not your blog, just your blog article. It's also an editorial site that has a listicle. It's also, which you have to secure through a PR effort. It's also a YouTube influencer. It's also a TikTok video. So when we think of a search topic, we're thinking of like five different channels. And attacking all of those channels and filling all of them with content and education so that when someone does a search, all they see is the content that we've produced.
0: Yeah, I love that. The that, that's that is so much more to untangle than what I think SEO used to be. I wonder how much gonna keep changing. Sort of the old SEO long form article thing is just gonna go away, basically, because of exactly what you just you just mentioned. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left. Anything else that you think Is sort of like has been key in your time there this is like a remarkable success story at bobby it's like it seems to me to be a pretty incredible business and and so i'm just curious sort of what else you've seen being on the inside of that for the last couple years that you think is useful stuff that you wish you would have known when you were working with clients at ctc and that sort of thing like what what would you tell people that you've learned in this journey that is like if i can give you one or two or three things or whatever that, that come to the top of your mind this is this is if you were starting your own business now what would you be what would you think thinking about for people
1: Yeah. The the other big topic that we didn't get too much into that I think is like really critical to the success has been just our investment in data. We have a team dedicated to data. We have, we not only do they do analytics insights, but they also do consumer insights, brand studies. I think there's a lot of fear in investing in brand because it's hard to measure the ROI. I think Being able to measure brand marketing has been something that we've dove headfirst in. Like we have a sense that if we invest in our brand, we will continue to win, but there's no good way to measure it. So we're doing a couple of brand studies multiple times a year to measure the impact and the growth of consumer awareness for the brand, which is something I would not have even considered in my past. And then, yeah, the, the importance of offer testing, like we're constantly, we, we have like tests on a two week sprint cycle. We're working closely with, you know, we have a squad of growth, finance and our e-com team. And we come up with a series of tests that we think are going to drive impact. And those have been like the, the biggest drivers. And when I say big drivers, I mean, the, the tests that we've run, have not made that much of a change have not been that much of a change from a margin standpoint but have allowed us to reduce our advertising investment pretty significantly because they've driven such high so much higher conversion rate
0: specifically tests on the offer and on the creative you're saying
1: tests on the offer basically like how are we structuring the offer how are we how are we positioning our price like you can play with pricing you can play with shipping those are things that that I think there's a lot of flexibility to test around. I mean, I was talking to the head of retention at Magic Spoon. I'll give this example, and not spill some too much of the secret sauce here at Bobby. But one of the examples that I that I heard about that uh, you know we brought we are bringing into our testing queue is that uh, they had a subscription offer that was a subscribe and save and free shipping, and then they tested charging for shipping and giving a better offer on the front end so the net margin on that product didn't actually change but the consumer perception of the discount was different and that drove a significant increase yeah. in conversion rate and it's like those are things that you you just kind of like you're like okay our pricing is set we just have that price
0: yeah yeah right no people price is one of those things that everybody is worried that like by changing the price they're going to get a massive backlash of of customer response and is going to be all angry about it. And, and the actual truth is, people think about your business a lot less than you do. And they don't even really notice. And for a few people who like, have a rightful reason to be a little frustrated by something about a price or whatever, because you changed it, and they just bought and you made it cheaper or whatever it is, then you just take care of them with your customer service. You just go, hey, that's understandable. And we'll, we'll help you out. You know, I mean, it's just like so simple. I've never seen a giant backlash. I actually heard somebody talking about this at e-commerce field this year at the at ECF live. There, a woman was talking about like, somebody asked her, she was a sort of a pricing consultant for brands and, and for companies. And she was more in B2B, but she was she was asking this question like, uh, or she goes through her whole presentation. Somebody asked her, give me your horror stories of like, okay, you you raised the price and it went badly and there's a giant backlash. Like surely at some point, you know, that happened. And she said, I don't have any. Like it's never happened. <laughs> like it's like crazy. And so you hear that, like whether or not you should raise or lower your price, people just are so worried about it. But it actually has a massive impact on the value you can create and it's it's also an incredibly easy change actually like you don't have to go back to your graphic designer and rebuild a whole giant you know landing page or what you know there's there's so little you actually have to do you just test the price and make sure your customer service knows and and for a lot of smaller brands especially sort of bootstrapped entrepreneur types where there's not a huge team to deal with like that's pretty quick change you go change it and see what happens or you know go add another product to your bundle and see what happens and or change the, you know like the situation you just mentioned with magic Spoon. So. Yeah, I think I think it's a great, great comment. It, it's such a massive difference maker. When I think of what an offer is, I think it's product plus price. Like that's what, that's those are the two components of an offer. And, uh, and yeah, playing with both of those significantly, giant difference maker.
1: Totally. And I go back to like the four P's that you're taught in like marketing 101 or like, you know, you go to business school, they're like, marketing is the four P's and you're like, great, whatever. And then you go through your career and you're like, you never think about it again. And as I progress in my career, the more and more time I spend doing this, the more and more I'm like, wow, whoever invented the four Ps was a genius because that's really all it is.
0: Okay. As I say, present somebody went to theology school and not business school and doesn't know what the four Ps are. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just hypothetical. Product, product, promotion, price, and place. So your product, your promotion, basically your advertising, how you're d- getting the message out there product promotion, price, the price, your offer, you know, and place, that's your distribution, D to C retail, where are you showing up? And those really are like the big four growth drivers and everything else is like tactics within those categories. But like, it's a shame to me that a lot of uh, growth people kind of are just stuck in that like digital marketing bucket. It's like, we got to, we got to like Really think about what drives growth. growth. It's all, all four of those.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's really good. All right. Here's what you should do when you're listening to this podcast you should do a couple things right away. The first is you should stop what you're doing and go follow Shireen on Twitter at Shereen Aubert. She, I would say you tweet sometimes and it sometimes is serious <laughs> about like how to grow your business, but a lot of times it's just funny and great. So go follow Shireen on Twitter. She is really great. And then you should go book her on MentorPass. Shireen would be a great help. She has seen a lot of businesses from the inside. Like I said, she was also previously on the agency side at CTC. So it's not like the kind of growth marketer who's like had one big success and got a MentorPass and doesn't know what to do with your business. Shireen has seen a lot of businesses. It's actually kind of one of my pet peeves. I see people. Yeah, anyway. So yeah, she she, uh, has led strategy at CTC. She's seen a lot of businesses from a lot of different angles and can really help you think about everything from target setting all the way down through your offer and creative. She's a really killer growth marketer. And then what else should they do? Shireen, is there anything else they should do to follow you and get more of that good Shireen content?
1: You know what? They should just they should just have fun and smile a lot too. <laughs> on top of all of that. That's
0: really good advice. Really, really good advice. All right. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. As always, I, I feel like we talked about marketing a good amount and didn't just talk about my uh, deep love of your other website, www.officialshop.com. <laughs> which is what I really like that's probably its own show yeah. and
1: as soon as we're done with this I'm going to hit up Nick Cannon and Elon Musk and work on growing the population because I really do think that's a big opportunity
0: Yeah, I, it's a huge opportunity it's a huge opportunity yeah alright thanks Shereen.
1: thanks Andrew
0: thanks so much for listening to this episode of the show I appreciate it so much as always and would love if you would subscribe to this show, rate and review this show, share it with a friend if it was useful to you. Those things all really help me a lot and help me continue to put out content that I hope helps you. All of that stuff really does make a difference. So thank you so much for doing that. Do also check out Settle.com slash Andrew Ferris to go get started with Settle if you are not working with them on bill pay and inventory and other AP financing. It is really the place to start there. Again, one to two percent per month is the rate of your extended payment terms there and with no personal guarantee. That's just incredible. So settle.com slash Andrew Ferris. If you would like to respond to this episode, you could do that by tweeting at me at Andrew J. Ferris. I'd love for you to do that or email me at podcast at AJFgrowth.com. I'd love to answer any questions that you have about what's going on in your business, maybe make a show out of it. So thanks again. As always, I will see you next time.